You're listening to the Sojourn Church New Albany sermon series, The Songs of Jesus, Singing the Story of Christ. In this series, we see how Christmas carols and Advent songs are rooted in the rich promises of God, speaking to the deepest longings of the soul and equipping us to bring all we are to God, particularly as we gather together. Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Tell her that her sad days are gone and her sins are pardoned. Yes, the Lord has punished her twice over for all her sins. Listen, it's the voice of someone shouting, Clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord. Make a straight highway through the wasteland for our God. Fill in the valleys and level the mountains and hills. Straighten the curves and smooth out the rough places. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all the people will see it together. The Lord has spoken. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning, Sojourn. Peace be with you. Uh, it's good to see you guys. Uh, my name is Jonah, and I'm one of the pastors here. Thanks for journeying with us uh, through Advent here. Um, I didn't, I didn't think about this before, but I'm really excited about Christmas caroling. Uh, anybody get uncomfortable at the idea of singing in front of people's houses? Yeah, everybody does. So if you're like, I would do that, but I'm not that kind of person. No, everybody is that kind of person. Um, it's uncomfortable for all of us, but it's easier to be uncomfortable when we're all together. Uh, something about Christmas carols, so, you know, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, which we just sung. This series is called The Songs of Jesus. Every week we're singing a, a Christmas carol and talking about some of the history or the promises from the scriptures that it came from. I didn't know this until getting ready for the series, but Christmas carols, carols weren't just Christmas songs. Uh, this, it was a style of songs. Uh, they were kind of like pub songs. You might call them drinking songs. Uh, where a carol was somewhere everybody gets together and you can all sing loud and everybody's singing their voices together. And the Christmas carol came about during the time of the Reformation when they said, basically, why should the devil have all the good music? Like, let's take our, these truths from the scriptures and let's put them in this kind of format and then let's take to the streets. And so the carols were meant to be sung on the streets, in fields, and at work. And it's uncomfortable and it's a little bit strange, but where else, I'm telling you, if you come to the church next Wednesday and you go out caroling, somebody will cry. Right? You will knock on somebody's door, you will sing to them about Jesus, and they will stand there with their jaws on the ground thanking you for what a gift that is. It's one of the sweetest, most precious nights of the whole year. And if, if you're someone who feels a little bit of that guilt, like I don't share the gospel or I don't tell people about Jesus, you can come and sing people the gospel. And it's, I've gone caroling nine years in a row now, I think, and nobody has ever gotten angry. No, the church has never gotten an angry email about it. Uh, it's much the opposite. We get emails regularly saying, are you guys still going caroling? Our whole family looks forward to this. So I know it's strange. I know it's uncomfortable. It's foreign. But what a picture of what, what God can do to have a group of men and women singing in the streets on a cold night announcing the hope of Christ to the world. So I really, really hope you can come and make it out. And afterwards, there's going to be coffee and hot chocolate, and we're, or not coffee, popcorn and hot chocolate, and we're going to watch 
uh, Charlie Brown's Christmas, and everyone's going to cry when Linus talks, and it's just wonderful. So I hope you can make it to that. So uh, Isaiah 40, some beautiful promises here about the coming of Jesus. And I just, I want to look at the first two verses here for, for just a second. Well, I guess before we do that, you can put, take it down. I don't care. It's up there. We're going to hear it in a second. Um, last week, Pastor Sam started the series, and we talked about Advent being a season that gives us power to long, uh, and that is to speak our desires, uh, to give voice to those deep rumblings we have, the longings we have that sometimes feel more acute during this time of year. And so I want you to put yourself there for a second. Just how would this passage make you feel if you felt like you were allowed to desire something, if you were allowed to long for something? And so, so listen to what Isaiah says. He says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Tell her that her sad days are gone and her sins are pardoned. Yes, the Lord has punished her twice over for all of her sins. These, these two verses, I think, speak to some of our deepest longings as people. Comfort. Comfort my people. Don't you long for comfort? For reassurance? Maybe just even in your own physical body, for the aches and pains to go away? Uh, if you're a young parent, for a nap. Don't you long for reassurance? Or the, the warm embrace of love? Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Don't you... How badly do you want to hear the voice of a, a tender father speaking gentle words of love and affirmation to you? Tell her that her sad days are gone. How, how would it feel for someone to come and be like, hey, guess what? You're never going to be sad again. All of your sad, hard days are over. And that her sins are pardoned. You'll never be in trouble again. Do you feel anything as you hear that? Anything rising in you? This promise came to the people of Israel and then the people of God were asked to sit in the waiting room for hundreds of years. Most of us struggle. I was talking to somebody the other day and I said, I feel so offended when I have to pay for shipping now. Doesn't that just seem so offensive? We're just so used to Amazon Prime and you get it the next day or the same day, and it's like three to five business days, and I have to pay $16? We have such short attention spans, such short uh, little capacity for discomfort. Can you imagine, on the one hand, how much we long for these promises to be true and then to go wait for hundreds of years? Hundreds of years between this promise and its initial fulfillment in the coming of Christ. Now as the church, we're once again in the waiting room. Christ has come, and we're in this 
period of waiting for him to come and bring about the consummation of all of these promises. So we sing songs like, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. Have you noticed how somber and melancholy so many Christmas songs are? It's, some of that is because we do Christmas wrong as a culture. I don't know how to fix it. Um, this is the season of Advent, not the Christmas season. The happy songs are not supposed to be happening yet. You ever feel internally conflicted this time of year? And you're like, why is Sojourn so dark and heavy around Advent? Because we're celebrating Advent right now. We're not celebrating Christmas. The, the Christmas season doesn't start until December 25th. And then you get the 12 days of Christmas. You know, that's not a cute song. For, for hundreds of years, the church said, we're going to, this is not my sermon at all, but it, here we are. Advent was, it's going to take four weeks to be sad and somber and melancholy and acknowledge how hard it is to be a human. And then on Christmas Eve, it's all going to lift. And then starting December 25th, we're going to give presents and eat like maniacs for 12 days and celebrate that Christ has come. So we're in this tension of, yes, these songs are dark, and many of our favorite Christmas carols are somber and heavy because they're Advent songs. They're they're songs of longing and of expectation. So we sing, Come thou long expected Jesus. What, that's a bit of a euphemism. Come thou Jesus whom we've waited thousands of years for. That qualifies as long. Amen. If you, receive, if, you, if you took last week's sermon seriously and received the power to long, to acknowledge that your desires and your longings are human, and many of them are very good, if you receive that power, you will find yourself in the waiting room. What do we do while we wait? So that's what I want to talk about for just a couple more minutes. What do we do in the waiting room? Um, first and foremost, there's a promise that we have to receive. Because the waiting changes if you know what's coming. You know this. Uh, I, I learned this vividly at Disney World, as many of my life's greatest lessons have been learned at Disney World. The Peter Pan ride, uh, if you've ever been on the Peter Pan ride, a lot of people say they don't want to go to Disney because of the lines. Anybody get pumped about like a two-hour wait in line? No, right? It's miserable. That's why you have the fast pass, but that's a side, that's a side note. Uh, you get, don't always get the fast pass. Sometimes you can't. So in the Peter Pan ride, right? Um, it's not so much a ride as it is an interactive waiting experience uh, because you'll be standing somewhere and like a Tinkerbell light will jump around in a lantern and you're like, whoa, what was that? And then shadows will come on the wall and they dance and move on the wall. And there's one spot where you can like interact with, I don't, it's like Disney magic. It's interacting with shadows. You're not touching them, but they're moving and you can see. And everything in this ride, the line is reminding you, you're about to be in a ride. And it builds your expectation and your excitement. So the waiting becomes much more manageable when you know there's a ride that's waiting for you at the end. Does that make sense? The... The waiting changes if you know what's coming. When you know what's coming, you can endure the waiting. And these first verses from Isaiah are the promise of what's coming. You will receive comfort. You will be spoken to tenderly. Your sins will be forgiven. 
verses 3 through 5, they may have sounded a bit familiar to you. Listen to the opening words. This is from verse 3. Listen. It's the voice of someone shouting. Clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord. Make a straight highway through the wasteland for our God. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Where else have we heard that? Ooh, you said? J the B. John the Baptist, right? John the Baptist stands in the wilderness and he shouts, listen, prepare the way. Like This is fulfilled in the ministry of John the Baptist talking about Jesus. We looked at this in Matthew. We're going through the Gospel of Matthew for a long time. You can go listen to that sermon. John the Baptist shouted this, knowing exactly what he was doing, and then he pointed to Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of this glorious promise. He has begun fulfilling this promise. He's begun answering these longings. If you receive Christ, you are entering into a guaranteed story. You know that there is a ride waiting for you. And everything that comes along in life gets to be little reminders of what that ride will be like, whether it's in the pain and the losses that points you to the reality that you won't feel this anymore one day, or the joys and the highs are little tastes of the life that is to come. If you receive Christ, you will inherit all of his rich promises, and you will receive the power that comes from a story that ends well. You receive the power of a guaranteed story. If you want the power to wait, you have to have the promise of a happy ending, period. If you don't know how the story ends, the waiting becomes unbearable. If you want to receive comfort, if you want to receive tender words, if you want to receive forgiveness of sin, if you want to receive an end to your sad days, then receive Jesus as Lord and learn to wait for his return. I don't see any way to enable us to wait if we don't first start here, if you don't receive the promise of Messiah, if you don't receive the power of a guaranteed story that can only be found in Christ, everything else just becomes kind of like self-help basic principles that maybe it'll work for you for a while. The first step into, in learning to wait is receiving the promise of a happy ending, and that's only found in Christ. From there, you can begin to rehearse the promises. So, if longing is the emotion that we talked about last week, longing is an emotion, it's, a, it's desire, that gives way to the practice of waiting. So, waiting becomes kind of longing in action. Each week as we gather, we rehearse the promises of God. We're, we're practicing waiting. We're trying to make Sundays kind of like an appetizer. And that's where you get tastes of something good. And a, a good appetizer at a good restaurant, you won't be fill, full after the appetizer, right? Like if you're full after the appetizers, you made a mistake. You ordered too many appetizers. Unless you're at an Italian restaurant, you're gonna be there for three or four hours. But don't press the analogy too far, okay? Most of the time, if you've gotten too many appetizers in, you're full, you did the appetizers wrong. A good appetizer will tell you, this is a great restaurant, and if the appetizer was this good, how good is the main course going to be? So we gather here trying to get little tastes of the life that is to come, getting a taste today of what's to come. In some ways, we're trying to rewire our bodies for hope. We're trying to learn how we can hope again as a people. And think about how this can transform the way we doubt. 
if you, because isn't that what happens when we wait? When we don't have the information, doubts creep in. If you don't know how the story ends, doubt can turn so quickly into criticism or accusation. A, a couple of, my, something's wrong with my wife's phone where it can text, but it can't take phone calls. And I had some life happen on Friday, and I'm trying to call my wife, and I can't get a hold of her. She's not answering her phone, and I'm like, what's, this woman never listens to my, she doesn't return my phone call, she doesn't care, she's just probably out doing something, she doesn't care what's going on with my life, I'm all alone in the world, and you know, I start like spinning out, and then, thank you, one man gets it. Uh, and then she, I texted her, and I was like, hey, I'm going to the hospital, you would know that if you returned my phone calls. Or something, not for me, I was like, my day has gone sideways, I'll be at the hospital if you need me. Um, and she's like, you called me? When would you call me? And my point is, her phone's broken, right? But there was a gap in information, and how quickly the doubt, the uncertainty, turns to accusation or criticism. People, people do that with everything. If, you, if there are doubts, if there are gaps in the story and the information, you ever notice how when you don't know something that's going on, something happens at work, and you're like one step out of the loop? You're never like, you know, I bet the boss really had a great idea for how to improve the company and was just going to take care of somebody who does whatever. You know, you don't come up with some benevolent story. It's always like, these people are idiots who are just taking advantage of me. My point is, when there are gaps in the information, doubts quickly turn into accusations and criticisms. So, in Christ, Big picture, we have all of the information we need. The, the promise is secure. So our doubts, they can find expression through longings. So here's what I mean. We can say, come thou long expected Jesus. Do you not feel the doubt that's underneath that? Isn't there a part of that that's saying, where are you? The song wasn't written that long ago. It's Person's about 16, 1700 years of waiting under their belt. Our doubts can find expression through longing when we know how the story ends. It gives us the words to practice the waiting. Where are you becomes, please come. The doubt itself can be a form of assurance because we can bring that to a God who is returning. We don't have to just sit on our doubts. Listen to how Isaiah continues. I think this fits perfectly with this idea of doubt. Uh, verse 6, it begins with, a voice said, shout! <laughs> That's one of the reasons why I love the Bible. Someone looks at you and says, shout! What might you be inclined to say? What do you want me to say? What I, so look at the next verse. It says, I asked, what should I shout? <laughs> I just wanted to slow down because I think that's so funny. It's such a human book. Shout! What should I shout? I'll tell you. Fair question. Verses 6 through 8. Uh, shout that people are like grass. Their beauty fades as quickly as the flowers in the field. The grass withers and the flowers fade beneath the breath of the Lord. And so it is with people. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. You see what's happening here? First, you get a promise. All of these things will be yours. Second, you get instructions for waiting. Shout to one another. That's a waiting instruction. And what are you supposed to shout? People are like grass. What is this getting at? Are we supposed to like pause in the service and this side of the room shouts to that side of the room, you're grass! No, you're grass! You know, like, what is this about? Well, think. 
Think with, what do we know about grass? It doesn't know much. If you, imagine the foolishness if you sat down to grass and said, it's wintertime, friend. What do you know about winter? You know, the grass would be like, it's cold. I don't know. Ask, could a grass explain to us global weather patterns with the turning of the seasons? It's like, no, man, I just got some water and some nutrients. I'm trying, just trying to keep the ladybugs off me. Or, like, grass doesn't know much. It doesn't last long, and it can't understand much. Notice it doesn't say grass is unimportant or grass doesn't matter. It's saying it's very small and it's very temporary. So what does this mean for us? Well, you can't figure all of this out. You're like a blade of grass. The waiting is hard, and you won't be able to understand all of it anyway. I think if God like beamed in his whole plan into your brain, your brain would explode. You're a small human, and he is the God of the universe, God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, ruler of everything in it, who's been orchestrating a who knows how many thousands of infinite years plan, right? Not all of that is going to make sense for you because you are a blade of grass. Remember your place. And then remember the word of our God stands forever. Which kind of superficially what that means is if, if you disagree with the Bible, the Bible should win that disagreement. But I think more fundamentally what it's saying is that God keeps all of his promises, period. Maybe not in the time that you would prefer it, too? Maybe, you know, not every prayer is going to be like the building renovation, the, the room renovation, where it's like we pray for it in the service, and by the end of the service, someone's like, yep, I got it. You know, like, not every prayer is going to be answered that quickly. But we have to remember our place and remember that God keeps all of his promises. And did you notice this isn't a personal practice? This isn't just like go into your prayer closet and think about it yourself. He says, shout so others can hear it. Shout so you can believe it. Shout to break through the fog of grief and doubt. You ever come to our, if you've been coming to our church for a while, ever wonder why we make you guys pray out loud together? We're reminding ourselves and each other. We're rehearsing the promises. Some Sundays you'll come unable to speak and you need to hear the voices of your brothers and sisters. Some Sundays you'll come unable to sing and you need to hear the voices of other people. We're reminding ourselves. We're rehearsing promises. And the message becomes even more than that as Isaiah continues in verses 9 through 10. He says, O Zion, messenger of good news, shout from the mountaintops. Shout it louder, O Jerusalem. Shout and do not be afraid. Tell the towns of Judah your God is coming. Yes, the sovereign Lord is coming in power. He will rule with a powerful arm. See, he brings his reward with him as he comes. The, pro the, the promise is so much bigger than it's, it's going to be all okay. The, the promise is God is coming. So shout it louder. Shake off your fear. Practically, some of you may have a hard time believing this. I think we need to make our gatherings much, much louder. Notice there's people in the front row that amen that? Not all y'all in the back? <coughs> I don't think the music, like the guitars, necessarily need to be louder, but y'all need to be louder. Not for what's happening up here, not to like for affirmation for the show that's going on, but to join our voices and to raise the volume so that we can believe these things and they can affect us. 
Maybe, maybe you need to pretend once a service that like Andrew Luck is back and he threw a touchdown to T.Y. Hilton. Like, because I've seen, was that, that was, I should have stuck to my notes. I'm sorry, Terry. Imagine a football player you really like or a soccer player did something that you're really excited. Imagine Bono walks in or, you know, because I see we can respond, right? We can get loud and there's places where volume isn't so awkward and uncomfortable for us. Why not here? We all have weird cultures that we've inherited that make this like, well, I don't want to be a distraction. Said no one at a sports bar, right? Said no one at a rock and roll concert or wherever. It's like, can you imagine, I don't know, someone going to one of these new Kanye West services, which I'd go to. I'm kind of curious about that. And you're just standing there and everybody's dancing. And you're like, well, I don't want to be a distraction. You know, like, it's, it's, it's silly. There's, there's something else going on there. We, we need more volume from our voices. So sing. Declare the promises and prayers in the liturgy with a loud, strong voice. Say it as if you're claiming hold of it. Do that because you want to believe them. Not because of how much you're sure it's true, but maybe because of how much you want it to be true. Do that because you want to help your neighbor believe them, and you, you want to help your neighbor cling to these promises. If that's too uncomfortable for you, take a blank note card and write a promise down. Maybe one of these promises. The Bible is filled with promises. If our planning worked out, you should all have a note card right now. Right? See, if we think about these things. Take a note card, write down a promise, and maybe it's just something simple like comfort. Something that really resonates to you, that you want to be true. Write that down. Put it someplace you'll see it. You've heard this kind of thing before dashboard of your car, the mirror in your bathroom. And when you see that, don't keep it to yourself. Remind somebody of that. Maybe you need to be reminded, your God is coming in power, don't be afraid. And so you see that and you brush your teeth and you send Sarah a text message saying, hey, he's coming, don't be afraid. These, these promises come to us and move through us, and we have to learn how to practice them and rehearse these promises in our daily, regular life. So we gather to practice. We gather to get an appetizer of the life that is to come. Look, here's this, look at this last promise in verse 10. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will carry the lambs in his arms holding them close to his heart. This is a promise that we rehearse every week in communion because we remember that Jesus feeds us with his very body and blood. He feeds us with his own presence. And what does that presence provide us? Comfort. Every week you have evidence that you are loved and you are pursued because the body of Christ was broken for you and the blood of Christ was shed for you. Tender words of affirmation and encouragement. If you receive Christ, all the words the Father spoke over Jesus, he now speaks over you. You are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. A word of pardon and forgiveness. By his stripes you are healed. Now we can experience the embrace of our Father as he closed holds us close to his heart. Maybe you just need to slow down during communion today 
take a few extra moments to feel the bread in your hands, to look at the wine or the juice, to receive all the sensations and flavors as an invitation to feel your Father holding you close to his heart. Justin's going to come up before we do communion, and we're going to sing uh, a couple of verses of Come Thou Long Expected Jesus Again. And I just want you to pay attention for a few minutes about how do these words make you feel? How do the longings make you feel? And I just encourage you to make this song your prayer. Sing loud. Shout if you want. It's a melancholy song. It's not a hype-up song. So be however you need to be. But let's stand now and let's sing and then I'll lead us into communion after we play this song. Thank you for listening. Keep in touch with Sojourn New Albany on Facebook or download the free Sojourn Collective app for iPhone or Android where you can see our full library of sermon series audio and video, discussion questions, event calendar, ministries, and much more.